0: Welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. Hello, this is James, and welcome to the podcast. And this week is a special one for us at Madden America, as it's our 200th episode. Our first interview was with attorney and author of the Zyprexa papers, Jim Gottstein, back in July 2017. Now, here we are in 2022 with our 200th podcast. So I hope you might forgive us for a little self-indulgence. For this and our next podcast, we'll be talking to the people that make Madden America what it is, the people behind the scenes keeping it running. Later in this podcast, we'll hear from staff reporter Amy Biancoli, science news editor Justin Carter, and arts editor Karin Gervert. But to kick us off today, we hear from Madden America founder Robert Whitaker. But before we hear from Bob, I just want to thank you all for listening, and to say that if you want to support Madden in America and in its ongoing mission, then you can donate by visiting maddenamerica.com and clicking the donate button in the top right hand corner. We know that not everyone is in a position to donate, so you can also help us by visiting MIA regularly, signing up for our weekly newsletter, and sharing our content on social media. So onto our interviews and many of you who have followed Mad in America will know of Robert Whitaker's work. Bob worked as a newspaper reporter for a number of years covering medicine and science. He is the author of five books, three of which investigate the history of psychiatry and the merits of its treatments. Those books are Mad in America published in 2002, Anatomy of an Epidemic from 2010, and he was co-author along with Lisa Cosgrove of Psychiatry Under the Influence published in 2015. Bob was also Director of Publications at Harvard Medical School for a time during the 1990s. Today he joined me to talk about how Madden America got started and how it strives to achieve its aim of rethinking psychiatry. Bob, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for the Madden America podcast. Uh, it's, uh, you know, interesting to have you on to actually discuss Madden America. <laughs> um, you know, you and I spoke some time ago, actually, just before the the kind of podcast got up and running. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of reflect on that time. So to kind of get us started, um, you know, obviously, Most people listening will know that you are the publisher of Madden America and and the kind of driving force behind it. So Madden America, I think you told me, got started in January 2012, and it looked quite different back then. So I, I wonder what was your aim or objective when you first got the site underway?
1: You know, what's really interesting, there was no grand plan or grand vision for what it might become and what it has become today at all. Really, the initial plan was very simple. You know, I had published Anatomy of an Epidemic, and that led people to say, hey, this is sort of a scientific story that needs further exploration. And we also need to hear more from patients, people with lived experiences, what their experiences are. And there was a sense, and I heard this from psychiatrists, I heard this from many people, that we as a society needed to sort of rethink this whole story of uh, psychiatric care. But really, so our initial vision was, let's report on some science, and then let's build a forum for people to write blogs and personal stories. That was really it. And and put up some resources related to the research literature. But that was it. There was no larger vision other than to start to set up a channel for a knowing the science, B, hearing from people with lived experience, and C, hearing from people thinking about what might be different, how to change things, how to build a new system of care. And we started initially with a very small number of bloggers. There was very few people working for us initially, hardly anyone. Kermit Cole was really a one-man band and putting out the front page and all. So it grew organically. And I think the thing that's important to to understand or see or recognize is how it began to fill a niche where there was so much demand. In other words, it was like a public, a larger and larger public, not just the United States, waiting for this type of information, eager to hear it, eager to share their stories. And we just sort of rode that wave over time as we expanded. We then launched the Madden America Continuing Education. Uh, You launched Mad in America Radio for us. And how did that start? Well, you interviewed me for your Let's Talk Withdrawal podcast. And the next thing you know, like 20 minutes later, we're saying, why don't we do a Mad in America Radio, which, by the way, is how Mad in America has evolved. So there was no, like, grand plan. It's just as we moved along, uh, we would all of a sudden discover opportunities to expand or do something new. Um, Mad America Radio is an example. Our sort of expansion lately into art resulted from Karin coming on board and she had been involved in sort of arts in the uh, lived experience community. And, I, and even Mad America Education, where did that come from? Uh, continuing education. That came from when Bob Nickel became involved and Bob Nickel had been the former State Commissioner of Mental Health for Oregon. And one of the things, of course, we wanted to do was reach professionals with this alternative way of thinking. So... I think what it's important to see is like we sort of stumbled into a niche where there's a great need for information and then talented people sort of step forward. And I think the one thing I'm proud of, of, of this organization is we sort of immediately recognize the potential and in individual stepping forward and let them run with whatever their area of expertise was or interest was.
0: Thank you, Bob. It's been quite incredible in the time that I've been involved to see how the site has grown. So here we are a decade later, the site's grown in size and scope, it has 11 globally affiliated sites, 5 million visitors per year. It not only covers science now, it covers music, art, lived experience, and so much more. So how do you see Madden America's role now in terms of the landscape of all things mental health? How does it fit in, do you think?
1: Well, I think we've become quite an impactful voice, to be honest, and, and even and internationally. The growth of the affiliates has, has been really important because now what's happening is they're joining together into this sort of international network of affiliates. And we're, we're learning from each other. And, and therefore, we're learning about what different countries are doing. And we borrow information from them. By borrow, I mean republish and that sort of thing. And that is getting us a collective voice on an international stage demanding change. We need to rethink this. And also making known that we have organized ourselves around a false narrative, that chemical imbalance drugs are so gay narrative. And we I think we really are an important vehicle for deconstructing that old narrative and opening ideas to new narratives. And one of the you know, I can talk about the type of impact I've seen I've seen that we've had. Most notably, for example, when the UN Special Rapporteur for Health, Danius Puris, was sort of coming up with his his final reports, he was relying on Mad in America to uh, really inform his reports and even relied on some of our science writers to help him with those reports. Same with the World Health Organization when it published its community mental health report. Well, one of our board members was a consultant to that. Several people who had written for us were consultants to that, which showed they were seeing us, these leading organizations, as an information source, but also sort of a philosophical source, a psychological source for what was possible. So I think actually our impact goes far beyond just the visitor numbers. Because it sort of spreads a message throughout society. And so much of what we were talking about 10 years ago is now becoming accepted wisdom, accepted knowledge. You see it even in ordinary research circles, people talking about things that we said 10 years ago, and now they're accepting us. Yeah, that's true. Like, say, no evidence for long-term benefits with psychiatric drugs. But I'll give you a small anecdote about our impact. We were having a science team meeting the other day, and one of our science team members is in Argentina, Samantha Lilly. And she was going to interview, I think, the health minister of Argentina. And the health minister goes, are you the Samantha Lilly? And she goes, well, I'm Samantha Lilly. And he goes, well, I just read an article you wrote, which was published on Mad in Mexico. So how did it get to the health minister? Because we publish it in English. The Mad in Mexico republished in Spanish. And now you have people in South America reading science findings published on Mad in America at the highest levels. I was so thrilled to see that sort of chain of information making its way up there. And I think that is an anecdote that really explains how our impact is beyond... It's beyond what you just see in the numbers.
0: And so, you know, obviously, again, people that regularly visit Madden America or listen to the podcast or look at the information on YouTube or however else they kind of get access to Madden America, you know, they'll have seen that... The science reporting is a big part of what Madden America does. So, you know, how does Madden America or you or the science team, how do you decide what science is relevant to cover for Madden America's
1: audience? So what we really look to cover is this. I initially set that up is because there's so many scientific findings that never make it into the mainstream media. Why don't they make it into the mainstream media? Because the mainstream media has this idea that the good science is that conventional narrative. And so when they hear things like, oh, the drugs don't fix chemical imbalances, they might just dismiss it. Or even more important is, how does the mainstream media get most of its information? It's sort of fed to them through the PR of the journals or, say, the American Psychiatric Institution, and they have PR channels for promoting conventional stories. But the research literature is filled with information and findings that actually contradict or you know that that conventional narrative, and I wanted us to be a an outlet, a forum for broadcasting these findings that the mainstream media never uh, you know really uh, reports on. So that's sort of the mission statement there. And then also, we're, of course, interested in in findings about alternative thinking, alternative programs. But the biggest thing is we're going to be a forum for scientific findings that don't make it their way into the the mainstream media for that reason. Now, beyond that, that's the mission. And now, I I mentioned earlier about how people have domains of responsibility. So, Justin Carter is our science editor. And he runs that science team. Now, I'll feed him some story ideas, findings, and other people do as well. And then he communicates with his team. And basically, he has built a template for how to report on these findings. That's very, you know, what's the methodology? What are the limitations? What is the context? And one of the things we do that I think is so interesting is when you read our science reports they'll say the finding and then often they build how this fits into other findings. So it's not just a singular finding, but that's our purpose. And what we do is of course, we just try to go through the scientific journals or the related journals and are also keep our ear out for anybody who says people often send us stuff. Hey, how about this finding? And then I just want to emphasize again, how mad in America runs through the talents of a number of individuals. It's not this hierarchical type organization. Justin Carter's a science editor. He built that team up. He runs it. That's part of our organizational strength. Thank you, Bob. Uh, And so I I wondered um, what you felt
0: was MIA's perhaps biggest achievement over the years. And was there anything that you feel kind of frustration that you haven't been able to accomplish yet or Madden America hasn't been able to accomplish yet?
1: Boy, those are two good questions. The biggest thing I think we've been able to accomplish is to continue doing what we're doing and expand at the same time, even as we're going against a narrative where all the financial influences are on the other side. So pharma money, mainstream money, advertising money, we don't have any of that. So we don't have any of the usual funds or try to sort so we're a nonprofit, et cetera. But we, you know, we've been able to continue, you know, thanks to the generosity of donors. And so we're really a grassroots effort. We don't nobody corporate is paying for us. It's it's individuals that are supporting us. So I think the proudest accomplishment is A, that we've kept it going B, we're continually expanding ourselves. We're continually grabbing on to new opportunities, like the growth of our affiliates over the last two years. And, you know, Madden America Radio, when you popped up, I think we've been really good at, when an opportunity appears, seizing it and and doing it fast. And then the final thing is the loyalty of the people working for us is incredible. I mean, people just stay with this. Obviously, they're not making much money but they're so loyal and they're so capable and they're so devoted to it. And so for me as an individual, that has been really rewarding to see the dedication of the individuals here is just astonishing. Now, what's been the biggest failure? The biggest or disappointment is we haven't been able to bring forth the voices of people with lived experience who really aren't hurt at all in society. Now I'm talking about, you know, poorer people, foster care kids. I mean, we've struggled. Um, There are so so many parts of, say, our society, but other worlds, they're just hidden from the world. You know, people of color, poor people of color. Say the experiences of ordinary, uh, of black men in the system. Well, the black men in the system, not only are they likely to get more severe diagnoses, um, but they're also often put under sort of state guardianship and they have to continue to take these medications, antipsychotic medications. Anyway, our personal stories, which are so important, do not convey the diversity of experiences in the psychiatric system that, that really exist across uh, racial diversities uh, and across uh, class diversities. And we've tried haven't succeeded, but we need to continue to try. We need to heard, we had this thing calling it bringing forth, forth unheard voices. And we've been, so that's part of one of the initiatives and we're trying to figure out different ways to do it. Um, but sometimes these populations we're trying to reach into are so isolated from any sort of mainstream approach Um, that it's been hard, but we've tried, we've tried to do it with video interviews and we'll keep trying, but that's the biggest disappointment.
0: Would you say that was the main challenge for Madden America going forward is trying to be representative of the diversity of the community that it's trying to serve?
1: Yes. Here's the thing. We're uh, part of the, you know, the fundamental mission is is making known that this, this paradigm of care we've had has done a great deal of harm really has. You see it in disability numbers. you see it in people trapped on medications, people out of work, people who feel they've lost years of their life. You see it in the pathologizing of kids who then go on to this you know uh, career as mental patients. So that's all good, is sort of shining a light on how this story and the way it's been applied to, to basically you know expand financial interests of certain groups. It's doing great harm, and we need to rethink that. But we're missing part of that story. We're missing the voices of those who, like, are foster care kids and just get shunted into this, and then by the time they're 18, they may, may age out of foster care, but now they got a life ahead of them as a mental patient, and they grew up on antipsychotics. You know, we have poor people in, in, different, in various cities in various parts of our country where people just don't have opportunities. Their lives are so difficult. And because their lives are so difficult, maybe they get shunted into the psychiatric system. Well, what's happening to those people in the psychiatric system? How does it affect them? And, and what is it like for them, in, whether it be in psychiatric hospitals, group homes, uh, living on the street? So we're trying to be an organization that writ large is telling us how is psychiatry affecting human beings. In various societies, in the U.S. and other societies. So much of what we get right now is the story of people of a certain class having been harmed by that. Sort of an educated class, a literate class, who are able to tell their story or even sort of motivated to tell their stories. But there's whole groups of people cycling in and out of hospitals, under state control, in and out of foster care or in foster care that are just being pathologized, categorized, drugged, and unlistened to, and that's part of the harm done. And if we talk again in five years, I hope we're doing better on that. I'm I'm bringing that story known, that that element of how society is being shaped and changed by this paradigm of care we've had. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Bob. And
0: so I was wondering, is there a message that you'd like to give to Madden America's audience?
1: Here's the message. I think we have had a failed system of care that was given to us really by psychiatry as an institution, as a guild, and by the pharmaceutical industry. That's the story. It was their story we organized ourselves around. But if you really look at a bigger picture, this is a story about how society cares and supports its own citizens in two ways. Those who do develop psychiatric difficulties, how do we respond to them? And also, how do we create a society that is less stressful, that is, is, is more nurturing of human beings, children, people as they become young adults, adults, etc. So the message I would give to Mad America, listeners and all, you're part of the solution. <laughs> You have the obligation to be part of the solution. You need to help us think about how we as a society can change this paradigm. And the only way it's going to change is through a sort of societal discussion and a societal demand about what is possible and how we should organize ourselves and how we should care for others who are struggling in these you know, difficult ways. And I remember doing my reporting, uh, when I was doing reporting for Madden America, I came upon this phrase, and I'm gonna, it's not going to be an exact quotation, but the person said this. You can judge the sort of ethical quality of a society by how it takes care of those who are the, 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 less, the most unfortunate people or the, most, the people who are struggling most in their society. How does it care for those, those people who are, you know, the dispossessed, the poor, the struggling? And I don't think we're doing a good job at that right now in so many societies. And so that's the ethical... The larger ethical story, and what I'm saying to the the our listenership, and hopefully it'll keep growing, or our readership, is your voice, your commitment to this, your activity in this, is what is going to help us build a different story, narrative, and and way forward.
0: Well, Bob, you know, to to, to kind of sum up, you know, thank you for being with me today, and you know, I have to say that. In the years that I've been involved with Madden America, so 2017, I joined. You know, what's impressed me most is the integrity of the people that work Madden America. And I'm pretty sure, having spent a lot of time talking with you, that all of that flows from your personal integrity and the way that you approach what we all do and and where we go. You know, the integrity of how we approach the science, I think, is really important. And that, that does flow from you. And you know, you said it so well yourself, you you might not agree, but, you know, I I think if you want to know where psychiatry or mental health should be in 10 years, then read Madden America. If you want to know where psychiatry was 10 years ago, then read something current in the mainstream psychiatric outlets. Um, You know, so just thank you for all you do for all of us, Bob. And, you know, I can honestly say it's a a privilege and an honor to get to work with you on these things.
1: Well, thanks, James. I mean, Those are very kind words, uh, but they're kind words um, aimed, I think, at all of the people who work at Med in America. And we're a growing family, so um, it's, you know what, James, it's meaningful work. And if you have meaningful work in life, consider yourself blessed.
0: Next, we hear from staff reporter Amy Biancoli. Amy is a journalist and author, and she joined me to talk about her work with MIA and the power of ethical journalism. Amy, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today for this uh, kind of special little podcast to uh, kind of reflect on Madden America and the people that, that kind of make it uh, make it all run. So firstly, welcome.
2: Well,
3: thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Yeah,
0: thank you so much. Um, so to kick off, really, I, I'd like to kind of ask a little bit about, you know, you and your your kind of history and, and you know, how it was maybe that that kind of brought you to Madden America.
3: Yeah, that's a that's a, a a big interesting question, and I'll I'll do my best to give the concise answer. <laughs> um, you know, everybody who works for is associated with uh, Mad America has a story, and my story is not one of personal lived experience, but it's of um, well lived experience in this, not as a psychiatric survivor myself, but as someone who. Uh, has suffered suicide loss. Um, I lost my sister Lucy to suicide in 92. Uh, her ordeal was years long involving just, just, just the worst sort of polypharmacy. She was um, hospitalized um, more than a dozen times. She was on literally dozens of medications of different classes, including some, some drugs um, that were prescribed to counteract side effects. You know, it's the unfortunately a lot of people listening to this podcast are familiar with the horrors of of uh, polypharmacy. So I lost her to suicide in '92. Um, my our father had actually made an attempt when uh, we were kids. When I was 11, she was 14 and was hospitalized for six months. But it was an era when people weren't automatically uh, drugged and as was not unusual, actually pretty much the norm at the time he uh, after six months of therapy and uh, a healing recovery process he he never was suicidal again so that was my my initial experience with psychiatry, which was uh, a, not a not a negative one my my dad survived his suicide attempt and never made never made another uh, and then in in uh, two thousand and eleven uh, my my uh, late husband Chris, he died by suicide, uh, and that was a, a shorter arc, a shorter descent for him. In my sister's case, it had gone on for for years. Uh, in in Chris's case, it was a six month spiral into. Um, and I started with insomnia, is 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 not uncommon, and um, and led to. Uh, he got into a cycle of insomnia, anxiety, depression, insomnia, anxiety, depression, and uh, and he was hospitalized a few times, and uh, yeah, nothing worked. It was the same kind of thing. like I, I was I witness firsthand um, the failures of psychiatry. The treatment just didn't work. It wasn't. I remember him saying to me at one point when he was when he was in briefly a brief hospitalization, saying, uh, "How is this therapeutic?" Through all of this, I had worked, I was working as a journalist, uh, as a newspaper journalist, mostly covering culture, local arts for the Albany Times Union, which I did in a couple different stints, stretches of time, and in between, I had worked as a film critic for the Houston Chronicle, but I was also writing memoirs of surviving suicide, and when I was at the t- Times Union originally, um, I got to know Robert Whitaker, Madden America founder, um, who was always just a fabulous, very uh, meticulous um, health and science writer. And so uh, I, I knew Bob when he started writing about this and, uh, and when he came to his epiphany about the failures of psychiatry. So all, all along, and then I heard about the founding of Mad America and uh, it sort of happened very naturally that um, he, he was looking to hire a staff writer, Reporter for for the website, the Webzine, and um, I just thought this is this is kind of the universe cracking open, saying, "Hey, Amy, <laughs> you know this issue that's been important to you your entire life in ways you could never have anticipated, um, and in ways that you've written about uh, personally uh, outside your professional life. This is an opportunity to to do some." Um, I, Reporting on a really significant topic, and so I took it, and that was in the middle of COVID. That was uh, late summer of 2020.
0: Amy, I'm so incredibly sorry to to hear of all that you went through, and you know, I I can't imagine uh, that what's required to come to terms with a a loss of that magnitude in your family. You know, and you know, I, I think you're incredibly brave to you know, go through that experience, but then write about it for others to kind of understand and take solace from. And, you know, uh, because, you know, so many times we miss chances to perhaps learn from these kind of experiences. So, you know, I I really, you know, admire you for writing about that experience.
3: One thing though, the word, the word learn, I, I love, I love that you use the word learn, because I've always felt about uh, the, the privilege and gift of being a journalist, I've always framed it in terms of learning. Like I, I've always been, whatever my beat, whether it's local arts or film, or and I was frequently taken off my beat to cover other things. But I was, I was paid to learn. I've always been paid to learn, paid to be curious, paid to listen. And that was even true when I worked as a film critic. As, it's funny, this is not the public conception of journalism, but you have to kind of humble yourself to kind of say, what is the story being told? whether it's a movie on screen or whether it's a person talking to you and then you have to try to understand it from that viewpoint. And, um, and I also feel like, um, you know, you can't like something horrible happens. It's always going to be bad. It's always going to be a horror, a tragedy, but that doesn't mean that good can't come in the wake. I mean, usually small goods, sometimes big goods. And the like, it's likelier that, those little goods will happen if you're willing to share your story and it's definitely helped me in a weird way i mean it's intense but to have to retell the story but it's it's the it's the power of connection
0: yeah absolutely thank you amy and so you know could you tell us a little bit about the kind of things that you do at mad america and you know how your you know some reflections on the way on the pieces perhaps that you've worked on in in your time with us
3: yeah certainly it's been (laughs) boy talk about learning um it's been astonishing to me the conversations i've had with people and all that i've learned um uh well let me see i've been doing um deep dive stories long features um um, interviews, you know, a few podcasts, as you know, I've um, started doing book review roundups as well, doing um, non-podcast interviews, kind of one-on-ones with people. And also stories, I should, I should just highlight this, stories about alternate approaches, um, alternate efforts, Um Alternate um, groups of people like like those in the in the uh, Pacific Northwest who who do um, organize around rethinking psychiatry like the Inner Fire residential community in Vermont in southern Vermont uh, for people either trying to stay off or taper off um, psych drugs. Um, I did a, a series, a three part deep dive series on the. The the mental, emotional uh, well-being benefits of music, and that was fascinating. And music is important to me, so none of it was (laughs) surprising to me on a personal level. But it was, it was that was really that was really fascinating. And I did a big story on the uh, the crush on college counselors and the the massive influx of students looking for mental health services and how uh, mental health, those people who work for those services, how they're coping. One of the most extra- extraordinary pieces I did was a piece that I, I helped shape in the voice of this extraordinary person, um, formerly unhoused, who told his story to me. Like I, I sat down with him uh Carlton Brown, I sat down with him for several hours and and he told me his story. And then with his approval, I, I used his words and kind of cleaned them up a little and shaped them into his his account of living on the streets in New York City and his interactions with police and um, psychiatry, his hospitalizations, his drugs, Uh and his recovery and his arrival finally at a, a literal place of, of peace where he calls home, which is in the supportive uh, housing community up in Troy, New York. So, so that's just a that's kind of that's a range. And I, I just feel like I've been so privileged to talk to s- just so many people telling such extraordinary stories of survival and and beyond that recovery and. Um, Yeah. I mean, what amazing human beings are out there doing this work.
0: Amy, I absolutely love the richness and diversity of your writing. And, you know, I I can, you know, it's, it's a side of journalism that I hadn't really appreciated before was to amplify the voice of the person that you're talking to and, you know, to give them the platform for them to tell their story, but to guide them in a way that they can really give due diligence to the experiences they've had. And I think you do that wonderfully.
3: Oh, thank you. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, as I said, it's, it's, it's a it's a privilege, and I'm always I'm always in awe when, and I I hope I never take it for granted when someone trusts me and and tells their story. I mean that's just extraordinary to me. Um, like wow, I'm just like this random journalist that they've never met, and maybe we're talking via Zoom or something. I mean, in Carlton's case, I I sat down with him in person, but yeah, it's a it's a relationship of trust, and I'm 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 awed. I really am.
0: And so, you mean, you know, I, I wondered if um, your kind of thinking about all things mental health had kind of changed any since your time with Mad in America. And I, I can't help but be struck by, you know, you, you talked earlier about the situation with your father where he was taken in, he was treated, and then he was let go. And, you know, that made a big difference for him compared to perhaps sadly with your sister where she was taken in and, and drugged and then perhaps stayed Unwell, sadly, you know. So there's quite a shift there, just in those different generations, isn't there? So, you know, I, I wondered if working at Mia had kind of um, made you think differently about mental health, or did it just confirm what you already knew from your own experience? Well, it,
3: it kind of both. It gave me a new vocabulary, and you know how you can know something and understand something, but then there's a shift in the light, and you see it differently, or not differently, but you see it you see it more fully, and you know i often i often reflect um, on my sister's experience with oh, all the drug cocktails she was on and, and the the neuropsychopharmacologist who was always just throwing whatever whatever new drug was out there at her to counteract this that or the other thing and uh, and there wasn't I'm sure there was a movement then. I know there was a movement then, but I wasn't aware of it. It wasn't as out there. I mean, there wasn't an internet for one thing. Um, And so she wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware of it. The idea of wholesale questioning of the pharmaceutical model wasn't wasn't part of the, the conversation then. But whenever I read or hear an account of someone's story, like all the personal stories on Madden America, of people going through basically what she went through. And or or going through uh, you know, the the more compacted version of what my husband went through. Um, I was saying, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So that's that wasn't unusual. And I think the the awakening for me, not not just specifically with this job, but with Robert Whitaker's work and Madden America, is is just the realization that it's just part of of a huge and catastrophic norm that this happens so frequently. And if anything changed for me, it was just saying, all, all right, all right, all right. So those horrors that my loved ones' experiences or in my my father's case didn't experience, that's just this reflective of what's wrong with this broad paradigm. And for me, it was always like a personal story of 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 loss, of suffering and and loss. But, now i'm much more aware of not just working for mad in america especially i'm aware of of the movement and the language so like i no longer for instance i can't use the term mental illness any longer i think i before i started working for mad in america i was aware that some people wouldn't use that term i never used the term in any sort of dismissive way i was always describing someone i loved who was mentally ill or descended into mental illness, quote-unquote. And I don't use that term any longer because I'm realizing just the word illness has got so much baggage and it's so medicalized. And the whole problem with this is the framing of people suffering in terms of of the diagnostic model. So that has changed and just my awareness has changed and my understanding. It's been, yeah, uh, gradual over, over... over the last decade but especially working for for mad in america
0: yeah yeah absolutely thank you amy well you know i I, again i i um you know before meeting bob and and kind of working with you and and seeing the work that you did i didn't realize how valuable a journalistic lens was for this work because much of what you see on the internet is scientifically there's a scientific lens to it and it all sounds very convincing and it all sounds very evidence-based but you know the the job of a journalist is to bring out the person at the center of the science isn't it and so much so many times when you speak to the person you realize the science has been corrupted in some way in the way it's been applied to that person but it's only by looking perhaps through a journalistic lens we can get at that
3: yeah that's interesting i yeah i mean that's that's ultimately it telling the stories of people who are who are affected i mean <laughs> I mean that's that's ultimately the goal of 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 all journalism, and uh, I, I I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to write about these extraordinary people and these extraordinary efforts, and trying, literally telling a different story about mental health well being. And I realize mental health itself is is and there's a lot of conversation around that term. I mean I which is I you know I as is the case with any movement, there are conversations about how to have conversations because this is this is an extraordinary movement I feel like we're in the middle of and it's so much has changed just in the time since Bob founded Madden America and I know that more will change and I realize we're not at any kind of happy ending just yet but um yeah that's to me is just a, it's it's yeah, I don't think thrilling is too strong a word. It's it's really invigorating, intellectually, morally, emotionally, journalistically to be covering and in a way being part of that that movement. I mean, I'm I'm not as I said in the sense that I'm not a psychiatric survivor
0: myself, but
3: yeah, it's it's profound
0: amy thank you you know i, I i'm so I, I consider madden america very fortunate to have you working with us you know i i, I um You know, as I say, there's such richness and depth and diversity in in the the accounts and stories that you bring to Madden America. I love the fact that you are, music is so important to you and comes out in your writing. You know, music is a very important thing to me. I think music and art and poetry actually figures a great deal in an awful lot of people's recoveries, you know, far more than is given credit for, actually. So I love that you bring music and art into your writing too. And, uh, yeah, I'm so grateful you could join me today to talk a little bit about it. Thank you.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I'm really grateful. Thank you so much, James.
0: Next, we're joined by MIA's science news editor, Justin Carter. Justin heads up our science news team in addition to being a staff psychologist at Boston College University. Justin tells of how Madden America's science team became established and explains some of the guiding principles involved in discovering and reporting on science content that often gets ignored in mainstream journals. Justin, thank you so much for joining me uh, today for this podcast where actually we're kind of turning the focus on ourselves a little bit in uh, you know, Madden America and what Madden America does. And you have been such a key and important part of all that Madden America has achieved for quite a while now. And, you know, I'm just interested to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, how Madden America does its thing. But before we get there, I... Wanted to ask about you and you know how it was that you first got involved in, with Madden America. You know, what, what brought you to it in the first place?
2: Yeah, well, really excited to have the opportunity to kind of step back and reflect on the work that we're doing and where we started and where we're headed. Um, so it was back in 2015. I initially began working for Madden America as the news team writer. And I was introduced to Robert Whitaker. Uh, by Lisa Cosgrove, who I had met through the American Psychological Association uh, Humanistic Psychology Society. And um, at that time, I had a previous degree in journalism and had just finished my degree in community, a master's in community psychology. And I was looking for a way to kind of prepare myself for a doctoral program um, and also to kind of work on an activist approach to mental health. So I was very, I was really uh, excited to, to get to meet Bob uh, I, in my uh, master's program at Point Park University. We'd actually read Madden America and Anatomy of an Epidemic uh, and in different classes. And that program and the professors there were really adamant about uh, it's kind of changing the paradigm around mental health. And, and so Bob's work was a centerpiece of that and then to be introduced to him uh, was really exciting. And then for him to ask me to come and join the team and contribute in some way, uh, I was I was thrilled. I remember leaving his office in Cambridge and calling some of my professors uh, and saying, you'll never guess, I, I just met Bob Whitaker and uh, I'm gonna be uh, working with Mad in America a bit. So it was really exciting uh, from Go. And um, my initial role here was to, Summarize uh, research that was coming out that, you know, very broadly um, didn't quite fit a narrow biomedical model for mental health. So it wasn't just a sort of new drug discovered for this or a new gene discovered that might contribute to schizophrenia, the kind of stuff that was being reported most frequently and usually straight out of a press release and into the newspaper in a lot of mainstream outlets. Um, and what I started doing is just kind of combing the literature for. Things that I found interesting that didn't quite fit that model, things that had to do with social determinants of mental health or had to do with um, adverse effects or less effective drugs than we thought or conflicts of interest in in medicine Uh, and just writing brief summaries of them for the website, uh, one a day for the weekdays um, for that first year. Uh, That was really an education uh, and it prepared me quite a bit for my future studies and uh, it was pretty fun to do too. And and so Justin obviously
0: you know in recent years Madden America has really expanded its science coverage you know i mean not not just in terms of the amount of material it produces but also perhaps you know broadened and expanded the conversation into many many other areas other than just psychiatric drugs or diagnoses and the dsm and whatever and you know you now have a a kind of science team that you look after and coordinate so can you tell us a little bit about how the science team kind of came together and you know how it how it kind of works together to produce all this content for mad in america
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so the the sort of expansion of the science team in terms of what we coverage is what we cover and the research that we look at is really a credit to the team um, that we've put together and the sort of diverse interests and life experiences that everyone brings to the team and what they choose to report on and how they choose to report on it. Um, So we've been, you know, I feel really lucky to have pulled together friends, really uh, people that I've met through doctoral studies through different conferences, um, through connections, uh, uh doing scholarship together. Um, people who have approached me, uh, via email and said, Hey, I'm interested in what's going on at Madden America or, Hey, I read something on your website for a study that I was doing. Uh, you know, I'd like to get involved. Um, And so over the years, uh, it started initially with a core group of us from UMass Boston, who were all students of Dr. Lisa Cosgrove, We're sort of all coming from the same perspective. And then over time, uh, added a lot of really great um, young scholars who are now, many of them are graduated and professors or researchers or clinicians in their own right. uh, And some are still students and uh, who are just producing uh, really high quality work for us and bringing different vantage points and perspectives to the team. And so everyone um, gets to select their own research article that they choose to cover. Uh, I suggest uh, a number of them every week to the team and people can pick from those or they can follow their own interests if they find something different. And uh, often people are doing their own research uh, for their dissertations or for different studies that they're a part of, and they use it as an opportunity to sort of do their literature review in a thorough way uh, and so over time these students uh, start to build up uh, their own cache of research that they've summarized and covered and really thoroughly explored uh, which they then can also use for their for their studies and we publish those summaries um, so bring you know the research that people are interested in and that they're doing themselves shapes what we cover on the website quite a bit
0: That's really quite important, isn't it? Because, you know, you've mentioned before that Madden America, even for you yourself in your own work, sometimes has been a valuable reference tool. And, you know, I guess what's important in there is the kind of research that's often covered in Madden America is not research which might figure all the time in the very big, high-impact journals. So, you know, Madden America, in a way, offers a, a way to Magnify that research and to perhaps get behind paywalls and expose people to you know wider thinking that you might than you might get if you just followed say the bmj or or something else that's important, isn't it
2: yeah absolutely um, so in terms of using Mad America as a research library, I think that's maybe one of the ways in which it, it in which Mad America continues to expand and maybe is currently being underutilized by researchers, but now that we've had the research team running for six years and we've covered summarized five articles a day or five articles a week for each year you know we've got over a thousand articles that have been summarized by our research team members Uh, and you can search through those on the website and read a summary and then we link directly to the study uh, and provide citations at the end of each research news article so you can grab the citation you can go to the study read more thoroughly decide if it's something that you know is helpful for you in your literature review Uh, or in the paper that you're writing. And you can really put together a a pretty solid start to a literature review or an outline to a literature review by searching through the reviews that we've done uh, and summarized already on the website.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Justin. You talked about Your first meeting, Bob, and then, you know, summarizing articles yourself and then, you know, developing into a science news team that kind of broadened everything in terms of their, you know, view of the world and and their preferences. But, you know, I, I wondered what that experience had. What was the impact on you yourself, Justin? And particularly, has the way that you've thought about the mental health landscape changed in the time that you first joined Madden America and then through all your subsequent experiences with the science team?
2: So I touched on this a little bit in, in the interview I did recently, um, the two major effects, um, that come to mind right away are, are one, just being sort of humbled by the complexity of these issues. Uh, so broadly like the complexity of human consciousness and, and the sort of mystery at the heart of that, the complexity of the brain, its interaction with our environments and the way that it's, we shape and are shaped um, by each other, reading re- research that's all kind of, kind of taking narrow chunks of that mystery and trying to elucidate it, trying to explore it, and seeing the um, the arguments, the the points of conjunction and disjunction. It, it's really it's it's a reminder of the sort of the mystery of our existence and and uh, the complexity uh, of human experience, and so that's a humbling. Feeling. Uh, the second piece is being exposed to all of the sort of infighting, turf wars, um, different ideological perspectives on mental health that arise in the side disciplines generally within psychiatry, between psychiatry and psychology, between psychology and social work, uh, and within each of those fields, it's sort of different different critical and ideological perspectives that that tend to butt heads with one another seeing all of those fights and seeing all those arguments and seeing all the different sort of ideological perspectives uh, is helpful in reminding me of how little we each can see from our own perspective Uh, it's also helpful and it shows you where the where the points of disjunction are where the fault lines are and those are the areas that are exciting. Those are like the edge of the frontier, uh, where we don't quite have an agreement yet. We don't quite have a language for how things work. And it kind of points us to the most critical issues, uh, to explore in the field. So whether that's diagnosis and, and what it means to have a disorder, which brings up all of these huge issues, whether it has to do with, uh, human rights and mental health, uh, how do we think about the rights of people who who are diagnosed, who in some people see them as a threat to themselves or others. How do we balance that threat to ourselves and others with basic human autonomy and dignity and agency? And I think these are, you know, examples of places where we have wide disagreement in the field. And there are a lot of competing perspectives and that kind of points us to what's most important and the issues that need to be worked on and talked about and thought about, uh, with a great deal of nuance.
0: I guess then, you know, expanding on that, if we look to, you know, the future and and where Madden America is going, then what would you like to see the science team kind of focus on going forward in terms of its reporting for Madden America? You know, is the one particular issue that you think is so important that it needs much more attention or is it that all of the issues need attention and it's just a question of trying to cover as much as you can?
2: Yeah, I think that we're starting to see... The, pe- the pendulum swing a bit. We're starting to see the paradigm change a bit. Madden America's influence, although not always recognized, it is clear. Other news outlets are covering mental health issues with a great deal more nuance. They're often interviewing or citing the people that we've already interviewed and cited um, for years. And so I think the conversation is shifting. And where do we go from here? If we've got a little bit of momentum, People are open to seeing mental health as a more complex issue, particularly with regards to social justice, political issues, social determinants of mental health. Uh, How do we push the conversation forward? And it feels like the leading edge of that conversation is around inclusion and participation of people with lived experience of mental health issues or lived experience of psychiatric confinement or lived experience of psychosis. There's different ways of sort of defining that. And so uh, I think, as a news team one of the things that we're wanting to push forward is uh, increasing lived experience perspectives on our news team but also covering research coming out of the mad studies field coming out of critical disability studies coming out of psychological humanities and first-person memoirs of madness or experiences of distress i think increasingly we want to push uh, forward in that domain towards greater inclusion uh, of those Bodies of literature, the consumer survivor, ex-patient literature, um, psychosocial disability literature, and also have more inclusive practices on, on our team as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank
0: you, Justin. That's that's really helpful. And just before we, we kind of come to the end of this, Justin, I wondered whether there was any message that you'd like to give to people who... Kind of, is it Madden America to try and see and understand, you know, where the science is going on these particular issues?
2: I would say a couple things to keep in mind is that every individual research article is a small piece of the puzzle that's pointing us in a different direction, Uh, that's broadening our picture, that's broadening our conceptualization, but that none of them provide a sort of totalizing account of any experience or any, um, experience of madness or mental distress or or, or mental ill health. And just my struggle there and trying to find the words for that points to probably the second thing I would invite people to keep in mind is that as we're writing these, the language is evolving and we're on our way to finding better language and better ways of thinking about some of these issues. Um, but the language itself is a limiting factor.
0: Well, Justin, you know, I just want to thank you and the science team, really. You know, the, the, the science team under your leadership and guidance, I think, does a stellar job and, you know, adds real legitimacy and, and rigor to the story that we, you know, the, the, the narrative that we hear so often and, you know, the fact that there are other narratives out there that we don't hear so often. And the science team bring those other narratives to the fore and allow people to, really understand and appreciate things that might be quite difficult to find otherwise. So, you know, I thank you so much for the work that you and the science team do.
2: Thank you so much, James. And the last thing I would add here is that um, I know for myself and for many members of the news team, when we, when we talk about the work for in America, we see this as an opportunity uh, to, you know, promote the kind of work that we're doing and the way that we're thinking about mental health issues. But we also see it as a service. Uh, to the field, we know that we can publish dense theoretical <laughs> treaties in niche journals and have them be read by, I don't know, if we're lucky, our parents, our partners, and one other person, uh, and a lot of work and hours and intellectual labor go into doing that. And it's worthwhile to do that for its own reasons. But we also know that Madden America provides an outlet for reaching a broader public, um, for providing us some service to the field in, uh, trying to change. The field for the better from within and so we're really excited to have the opportunity i know i am and i'm speaking for others to be able to kind of do this bit of activist work um, to provide this bit of service um, to the field and um, to service users and to our readers and so we're really uh, i just want to expressing gratitude for the opportunity to be able to contribute in that way
0: perfect thank you justin thank you so much for joining me today thanks james and finally, for this first part of our 200th podcast, we're joined by Madden America's arts editor, Karen Gervert. Karen is a fine artist, writer, and psychiatric survivor. She joined me to talk about her work and the vital role that art can play as a means for people to tell their stories. Karen, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk a little bit about actually about Madden America this time. So, um, you know, for our, our 200th podcast to kind of get us underway. I was really curious actually to ask a little bit about you and, you know, some perhaps some of your experiences and, and kind of how it was that you came to know about or, or, or to find Madden America in the first place.
4: Uh, yeah, thank you so much. I'm so happy to to talk with you and and to catch up on this and um, congrats on the two hundredth podcast that's exciting so i I was uh labeled bipolar at twenty one and hospitalized several times over you know almost twenty years by the time I ran into Madden america. but um just before the pandemic, maybe a couple a year or two before the pandemic, I was um really starting to see how. The actual treatment that I was receiving for um, this, this label I received, like could have been the problem. like I was like, "Wait a minute, you know, I, I'm not sure that this is helping me in the way that they're saying it's helping me." Like it was just a, a, it was a slow burn, really. Um, but at some point, I actually just Googled trauma from mental hospitalizations. And I ran into the Icarus Project, which is now the Fireweed Collective. And I basically, I just started learning a new language. Like uh, it was a, uh, it was an information dump. You know, like I just got all this lived experience of harm through psychiatric medications, harm through gaslighting in therapy, harm through mental hospitalization, trauma there. So it was all these things that. I had never been exposed to prior, but there was always this needling bit of me that was like something's wrong. I, I could never quite accept the diagnosis. I could never say, "No, this fits perfectly. This is who I am. This is what I need to do." And and there was also like a gaslighting around that, where it was like, "Well, if you can't really accept that, then you know there's something going on with you that's not right." Um, and that's like funny because. In the end, it was the healing that had to happen was that I had to not accept it and trust that core intuition that something was not right about it. So anyway, long story short, I wrote an essay. um, And after all of this learning, all of this working through what I had learned through the the Fire Week Collective, uh, and I wrote, Can We Allow Suffering? Um, And that was the first thing that I ever submitted to Mad in America. But as it was around this time, it was the pandemic had begun and I had um, been trying to find work. I had worked at a bookstore, but um, uh, we had gotten laid off at the pandemic. And um, it just going through Mad in America was just like this was the next step. I was like, I want to be involved. I want to help bring this information to others because i really felt it saved my life um the information on Madden america the the lived experience narratives on on uh, fireweed the connections there all of this i felt saved my literal life um because i started withdrawing and as soon as i got off the uh latudo um which i was on an extremely high dose um the suicidality that I had struggled with for five years just disappeared, right? Suddenly I wanted to live and it was like, what? (laughs) How, you know, um, how is it okay that these medications have suicidal side effects? It's like that, honestly, James, for me, that's insanity. Like that someone comes to you with depression and feeling just completely despondent about life and you give them something that could possibly turn them towards suicidality that's insanity and I always say when I use the word insanity now I'm like I'm not talking I'm talking about when I use that word I only use it in the context of the well-funded kind (laughs) you know I don't use it in any other context I would never call myself insane I would never call any of my peers insane but the well-funded kind is the kind of insanity I talk about. So that to me feels like insanity. Then I started, uh, I sent out an email to Bob and I was like, look, like I really want to help with this. Like, And um, I guess it just, because I had a background in social media and I had a background in arts and all this stuff. It was like sort of that moment that Bob, that it was perfectly timed Um, introduction of, Hey, here I am, you know,
0: Fantastic. So so could you then tell us a little bit about the kind of things that you do for Madden America?
4: Sure. Yeah. More. Uh, so more and more um, as I've settled into the arts editor uh, position, I've realized that really all I'm doing at Madden America is I'm creating opportunities for people with lived experience to share their stories and to facilitate the feeling of worth and that validity, like that in a, I feel for a lot of psychiatric survivors, this has been the, the validity and worth of our personal lives, our personal experiences have been stolen from us. Um, and I've experienced that personally. Um, so I think my work at Madden America, although I've done other things such as the the suicide hotline project and things like that. But more and more, because I'm I'm an artist through and through. I, I just I was born this way. I just, this is, you know, the people that I care about are 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 the and the and the work that I do, this is who I am. Um, and so I've realized more and more that my goal at Madden America is to present as many opportunities as I can for people to tell their stories and feel safe doing that and receive feedback that their life matters and their story matters. Um, So, you know, the the work I do is um, I manage the gallery, um, which is always an open call. Um, Anybody can submit at any time to that. And then there's several um, uh, other projects like... um, Online exhibitions that are separate from that, um, that we do periodically, so they'll have themes, you know, like we have one running right now around the um, beyond labels and meds, what it feels like to be me, which is the teen um focus uh, for teen artists. So, expanding a little bit more of the arts content that that um, we do around you know that stuff, um, it's sort of a goal. Fantastic.
0: Well, you know, I mean, Karen. You know what what you add to the site and what you bring to the site is so important and so needed because, you know, we know that Madden America has been a place for survivors to voice, you know, their experiences and, you know, what they've been through and, and and that kind of thing. But not everybody wants to write. You know, some people really do want to express through music or through art or or, or, or whatever it might be. So, you know, it, it's, it's pretty incredible to see the artworks that people send into the site. And through you, they get to express themselves in an artistic way. That's so important, isn't it?
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. And and in the end I think a part of that becomes um, an access issue, right? Um, some people can do some things, some people can do other things, um, and if one person can't necessarily write but can draw, you know, there's, there's a, a level of um, accessibility that opens up for that person. So um, making sure that there's just this this open, you know, opportunity, open invitation for all kinds of artwork, um, is, is important for me, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for anybody listening that, that, you know, did want to know more, I mean, how, how can they actually submit art to us? How would they go about doing that?
4: Oh, sure. So if, um, you're on the Madden America site, um, under the editorial menu, there's the arts, uh, tab and on there you'll see submit art, um, Uh, I think it might be going through the gallery um, art gallery and there's links there on the top of the art gallery you'll see submit here Um, and basically it's you know um, just give us the title you can write a little bit about it if you want to tell us a little bit about the theme of the artwork or anything like that Um, you know it's poetry humor we do memes now too so you can submit memes um, and, and artwork and, and we're trying to figure out a a better way to, um, do, uh, music, original music as well. Like, um, uh, so we're working through that, but you can submit sound files as well. So, yeah. So performed poetry or even original music, we're, we're figuring out what better ways to present that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, I am so glad that you've found us, Karen. I'm so Pleased and grateful for everything you do for Madden America. But I'm so sorry that you had to go through the experiences you did in order to find Madden America. And that's difficult to contend with, isn't it? That people are having to endure such horrible things to then find a tribe and a community that they can express through many different ways. But, you know, I'm also glad that Madden America exists to allow people to express those things.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that in the end is what is so essential about Madden America. And why I love being here, and I love working with all of the people here, is that we all share that vision, is that, you know, we have been so silenced, and, and um, Madden America provides a way to speak, you know, a way to share, and um, it's so, so important
0: well you know I, I must also also say karen that uh, you know I, I i think you're being uh, too modest you know you're not just the arts editor you do a load more work for madden america you know really really important behind the scenes stuff and work with our global affiliate partners and you know a- anybody that knows anything about these kind of sites knows that behind the content there's a whizzing machine of stuff that needs bolts tightening and you know leaks fixing every now and again and all that kind of stuff and you know we, we you know depend on that and, and it's it's you know it's a really important part of having the content front and center isn't it
4: oh yeah absolutely and and i think that was one of the the great things about um when i came to bob and said hey here i am you know i i had sort of the the web design experience the web management experience the social media experience so like um i was happy to use those skills too towards towards mad america's mission too and and the affiliates are just a a wonderful group to be working with like I enjoy that quite a lot, Um, you know, being able to work with people around the world with similar visions um, and help them get started through, you know, helping them launch their sites, you know. And then also just, you know, we meet every month. We're like a little, like you said, like a little tribe, you know, and uh, we meet every month and and talk and go over things. So it's like all the things I do for Madden America, I am super honored to do, but I always start, you know. I guess uh, with the arts editing, because the arts are the love of my life. So,
0: <laughs> and, and before, we, before we kind of say goodbye, Karen, was there anything else that, you know, is important for people out there to know about Madden America or, or know about you or, or know about the work that you do for Madden America?
4: You know, one thing I was thinking about was, you know, when we run into media outlets in the world right now, it seems more and more that um, the neutral is becoming not offending sponsors or not offending mainstream culture, not offending, you know, that's become the unbiased that we call unbiased. It's that we're not offending um, mainstream. And I think Mad in America is important because it doesn't fall in that groove it it says you know we're standing outside of that and we're going to operate with the knowledge that it's important to highlight content that is up against the mainstream and you just don't find that as much and i think mad in america does an amazing job with that so and 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 bringing information to the fore that like me can save people's lives and has saved many, many people's lives. I think the last thing I'll say about Mad in America is, I'm so grateful for what Mad in America is because I get emails all the time saying, "You know, Mad in America saved my life," and I feel similarly. So,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, me too. Well, Karen, you know, I, I thank you so much for spending a bit of time with me today to talk about. How important this all is, and, and you know what you do. And, and you know, equally, I'd echo that I think we're tremendously lucky to have you on board with us. So, thank, thank you for all you do.
4: Thank you, James. Thanks.
0: So, last but definitely not least, I want to thank you. The podcast has become successful because of you, the listener. So, thank you for joining us for these interviews. Thank you for your comments and for sharing and getting involved. And I hope you continue to find these interviews engaging and thought provoking. So until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views and updates.